I feel like I haven't been in church forever. So we had church family camp a couple weeks ago up in McCall, which was fantastic. Totally enjoyed that. Um, great time. So here next year, just I want to I want to I want to level set with you. Okay. Some people had some confusion about since we called it family camp that you had to have a family to attend. Well, you do. Look around. That's your family, the family of faith. So next year, get up there. This is not for old people with, with grandkids, okay? This is for everybody that enjoys fellowship, that wants to be encouraged and connected. So right now, I'm just laying it out. Family camp next year is church family camp. We would love to see you up there. It was a fantastic time. So that was one week we, we were away. And then last Sunday, we were down in Southern California uh, for the memorial service for my father-in-law, um, which, which was, I got to tell you, it was a sweet time in the Lord. Um, there was a couple highlights, though. I got to visit and go back to the church that I grew up in, Harvest Christian Fellowship. You may have heard of this little church, just a teeny tiny little church down in Riverside, California. The pastor's name is Greg Laurie. Um, now you know what I'm talking about. And, and I hadn't been there for 20 years, maybe more. And I couldn't believe it's not the same place. It's just how big the campus is now. And what an honor, what a joy it was to be able to, to honor the Lord and honor my father-in-law down there. Um, and I will tell you this. I talked to a couple of the pastors while we were down there. And guess what? Calvary Chapel in Boise, Idaho is on the mind of the staff at, at Harvest Christian Fellowship because they're ramping up to bring the Harvest Crusade here to Boise. I know we've had to, to push the pause button a couple of times, but let me just tell you, encourage you, it's back on. We're going to have a date here for us all soon. I, I heard through the grapevine, what, is that a spiritual term? <laughs> so so it, it's that. It's just, I heard that we've absolutely 100% locked down Boise State Stadium. So can you imagine, let's fill that thing for the glory of God and see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. So since we're just kind of being real with each other, last week was Church in the Park. So we do our annual Church in the Park, kind of an outreach. We do baptisms there. Last week that occurred. And so be real with me. Be honest. How many of you actually came here last week. Seriously, be honest. How many of you came here only to find out that it ain't here last week? Do me a favor. Raise your hand. I see those hands. You've heard that in church before, right? I've heard, I see those hands. Did you go to the park? <laughs> you missed it. You missed it. So yeah, we, that's, that's the one time of the year that... Uh, Man, it's just a joyous time to get together as a family out in, into the neighborhood, into the park. I love the baptisms. I got to miss that this year. Um, I couldn't dunk anybody, and so I missed out on that. So maybe we need to do another baptism here not to, in not the, the too distant future. Um, I would love that. I'd like to see a bunch of people come to faith, go through a new believer's training, and decide to make a declaration for Jesus Christ and follow him in baptism. Wouldn't that be cool? Lord, make that happen. Lord, make that happen. Hey, grab your Bibles. 
You ready for some Old Testament today? (laughs) That was enthusiastic. (laughs) You know, we kind of get churchified in our lingo, in our terminology, in in the way we think. And when I say, hey, we're going to be in the Old Testament today, I realize there's probably some people here today or watching online who really don't fully understand what that may mean. So there's the Bible in itself, just for clarification, the Bible is, is basically bro- broke up into two sections. The Old Testament, which was before the time of Jesus, and the New Testament, which includes the stories, the life, and the, the expeditions of the apostles after Jesus was here on planet Earth. Does that make sense? Sometimes I think us old crusty Christians, we just take that for, for granted. We expect people to understand what that means. But the Old Testament was before Jesus. And in the Old Testament, there were a lot of things, a myriad of things that occurred physically. And as kind of a shadow, kind of a model to what was to be fulfilled in the New Testament. Are you tracking? That makes sense? So many, many of the things we see that, that pictures and examples and exercises and rules and regulations in the Old Testament only did one thing. Make people understand that this is way too much to do. It's way too heavy to complete. It's way beyond me to, to check every dot and tittle, to cross every T and dot every I. The Old Testament did one thing. It wore people out enough to understand I can't do it. Only to be graciously thankful for a Savior who came and did it all for us. It's done, it's completed, it's not, it's not like partially done, it is done. In fact, if you remember the words of Jesus on the cross, as his spirit ascended into heaven, just prior to that he said, I almost got it in the end zone. <laughs> that what he said? I missed it by that much. He said, it is finished. Say that with me. It is finished. As we look in the story in the Old Testament today, we see a picture of something that to me blows my mind. It's a guy who gets called into ministry. And there's never been one like this before. There's never been this role. There's never been this position. There's never been a pulpit for anybody else to have been behind that he could model. So he depends on God Almighty to give him the layout. What's required? What do you expect for this this role to look like? You know, kind of like a a job description. When you get hired on for the, the new job and they sit down with you and say, okay, so how good are you at math? Can you push a broom? Can you chew? (laughs) Some qualifications we kind of need to know, expectations, you're going to need to do these things on the job. That's what we're going to look at today in Exodus in the Old Testament. Open your Bibles to Exodus, the second book in the Old Testament. 
Exodus chapter 28. I titled today's message, Holiness to the Lord. We will see that in this portion of Scripture. But we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 28, starting in verse 31 this morning. I could have named this message, Pomegranates and Bells. And you'll see why in just a minute. Because remember I told you that the things in the Old Testament were representative of things that actually get fulfilled and and completed spiritually in the New Testament? Pomegranates and bells may be a little bit more intriguing, a little bit more engaging or provocative, but it boils down to this. Everything had to be adhered to in order to be a holy, complete offering for sin for the people. And it was only a holy and complete offering for the people to just accomplish one thing, cover their sin. Not cleanse their sin, not remove their sin, just cover their sin. So as we pick up in chapter 28 here, starting at verse 31, Aaron is the priest And the Lord begins to give Aaron some very specific instruction about his attire and the the things that occur in the actual ceremony of the Day of Atonement. Verse 31 says, you shall make the robe of the ephod all blue. There shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. It shall have a woven binding all around its opening like the opening in a coat of mail so that it does not tear. And upon its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple and scarlet, all around its hem, and bells of gold between them all around, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, upon the hem of the robe all around. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers And its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out that he may not die. You shall also make a plate of pure gold engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And you shall put it on a blue cord that it may be on the turban. It shall be in the front of the turban so that it shall be, upon, be on Aaron's forehead, may bear in the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in all of their holy gifts, and it shall always be on his forehead, and they may, that they may be accepted before the Lord. Quite detail, quite a statement here, quite a outline of what the Attire should be for the priest. Some of you are a little bit more fashion forward than some of us. I, I'm curious how many Calvary Chapel pastors today are wearing Hawaiian shirts. Bet you the percentage is probably still pretty high. Some of you are in skinny jeans today. I don't know if that's redeemable. <laughs> you know, many, many times I think that we, we just assume we breeze through sections of Scripture like this and we don't, like, turn the, the cartoons on in our head. We don't get visual. We don't get 
tacky and tactile with what the scripture is actually saying here. Imagine this. This guys he's doing a job that's never been done before, and here's what the uniform looks like. It's all blue. It's, like a, it's almost like a poncho, a robe that gets put on, and there's a sash that goes around it. At the bottom, we see what? Pomegranates and bells, golden bells. Quite the attire. It also says that the guy's got to wear a hat, a turban. In American culture today, we say the word turban, and immediately we think, bad stuff. In this day in the Old Testament, it was the attire of the priest. And at, at the very front lobe of Aaron's head, it says that there was a golden plate with an inscription on it with a blue cord that tied around his hat, the turban, and it said what, church? Holiness to the Lord. As it were, to be the most top thing, the, the, the top level thing on Aaron's mind and those that would see that this is all about one thing, holiness to the Lord, not a ritual, not a religion, not a, not a prescribed effort of mankind that in its best could only cover the sins and the iniquities of the people. But that the top thing, the thing on Aaron's mind the whole time he's ministering in the temple is this should be done as a holy act and holiness to the Lord. Heavy duty consequences would occur if Everything that God would prescribe in the next few chapters was not adhered to perfectly. In fact, if there was not a right standing with the priest before he entered the temple, if he blundered in his sacrificial offering inside the temple, the Lord says, I will strike you down dead. Isn't that heavy? So we know that the hem of the garment were to contain pomegranates and bells. It's really unclear exactly what the pomegranates and the, the really represent, the pomegranates themselves. Um, there's some thought, though, that Jewish tradition says that a pomegranate has about 613 seeds in it. How many of you have opened up a pomegranate? There are more seeds in a pomegranate than anything else on the planet. How you eat those things, I don't know. 613 seeds, which would represent the 613 laws of the Torah. Um, interesting possibility. I'm not going to lay that out there as definitively the exact reason that it's there because the pomegranate is also used as a picture of... What, it really is a ugly, battered-looking fruit on the outside, but the inside has fruitfulness and blessing and tastiness and desirability. The pomegranate tree's presence in the nation of Israel represented a financial and, and material wealth. In fact, if you remember with me when the children were led out of Egypt and they were out into the wilderness, what were one of the things that they said, oh, we wish we had pomegranates. 
They also wanted leeks. Get your priorities straight, children of Israel. <laughs> I don't think I've ever just like laid in bed at night and think, oh, if I could just have a big leek. <laughs> or a big clove of garlic right now would just be wonderful, Lord. Then I know you would love me. Pomegranates, though, were lusted, lusted for in the wilderness that, that it was a desirable thing. It showed the faithfulness of God. It showed that although we are battered and we're not that great looking on the outside, there's deliciousness. There's sustenance. There's sweetness inside. I love the scripture that says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Perhaps this was a reference to those that were seeing Aaron in his retirement, that the Lord, the Lord, he is good. He is sweetness. You know, if, if I used this analogy one time when I was teaching in a prison, and I almost got ran over, beat up, like a riot almost broke out, because I said, some of you have a relationship with Jesus in this room. And it's our job to live in a way that is attractive and, and appealing to those around us and that, you know, your cellies might desire to know this Jesus that you know. And the way that the Lord says that is he says you need to taste and see that the Lord is good. And I said, just imagine that I brought a pizza in here and all I talked about was how delicious my experience with the pizza was, yet I never shared it. I guess these guys hadn't had pizza in a long time because there was an excitement and a buzz about the teaching of God's word that day like I haven't experienced in a long time and I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't tell what they're amening or about to run me over because it's like don't bring that up. Don't talk about pizza, man. We don't know what that, we haven't had that in a while. But there's this picture here of, get, get again the picture here, pomegranates, and golden bells. We don't know if the pomegranates were, were, were hanging from the hem. Kind of, remember like the fuzzy dice that used to hang in the, in the mirror of your Chevy? You guys remember that? You younger people have no clue. <laughs> don't know if they were actually hanging down, dangling from the hem, or if they were actually part of the, the tapestry and embroidery around the hem, but the bells we know did hang. And the purpose of the bells was so that when Aaron would enter into the temple to actually perform the duty and the service of administering the offering. In verse 35, it tells us exactly what the bells were there for. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers. And its sound will be heard. And when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, that when he comes out, that, they, that he may not die. So Aaron would go in, they could hear the bells ringing as he enters into the Holy of Holies to accomplish the, the sacrificial uh, services of the covering of the sin of the nation. And when the bells would quit, Jewish tradition has that we don't see this in the Bible, so again, we believe that this is probably true. It makes a lot of sense, but the tradition from, from Jewish history is that they would actually tie a rope to the ankle of the priest 
so that if he went in and he was not right before the Lord or he did not fulfill all of the sacrificial specifications as outlined by the Lord, there would be a ringing of bells once as he crashed to the floor and then they, it would go silent. There would be no more sound being emitted from the golden bells. They would knew something was wrong with the priest. And rather than trying to go in and try to rescue him, they could pull him out with the rope. That's a heavy thing, a heavy weight that would be upon serving in the temple. Lastly, we see this this plate of gold that's at the the front of of his mind, the front of his forehead the whole time. Go to verse 36. It says, and you shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. It was to be at the top of everything, at the front of Aaron's mind. It it was also to be right in the faces of all of those that are around him, reminding others of what it's all about. Keeping the main thing, the main thing. Holiness to the Lord. It's tied upon his turban with a a blue cord. And Aaron's responsibility with this elaborate work uniform, which later goes on to describe that there would be two precious stones on the ephod that he would wear over this robe with two precious stones representing the tribes of Israel, the two nations, Israel and Judah, and then 12 precious stones on his chest with representing each tribe of Israel. As it were, representative-wise, again, modeling in the Old Testament, the heaviness, the weight of the nation on his shoulders and the preciousness of keeping the, the tribes and the people close to his heart. A beautiful picture. A beautiful picture of the role and the responsibility of the priest. Who is bearing the weight of your sin and your iniquity today in the old testament it was the priest who once a year would go in and make atonement and get the get the sin and the iniquity of the people covered by the blood of the sacrifice you know i believe there's a lot of people in churches today across this nation who continue to bear the weight of their own iniquity and the weight of their own sin They have yet to discover the freedom and the liberty of the fulfilled work of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and setting them free from their sin and their iniquity and their burdens and their hang-ups and their addictions and their dysfunction and their family issues and their poverty and their sickness. And they walk around with the weight and the burden of their iniquity, their sin, their brokenness on their own shoulders. Who's bearing the weight of your sin and iniquity today? Are you continually looking back? Are you continually trying to define yourself by your, your raising and your upbring, upbringing, your environment, the, the poor choices that you made years ago? You're still looking back and letting that define your life today? 
Are you, are you deformed psychologically, mentally, spiritually, because all you can think about is how wrong people have done you over the course of your life? I say this often, and yet spiritually there's significance to it. We as believers spend way too much time looking in the rearview mirror when the windshield is a lot bigger. Where is your focus today, dear child of God? Where is your focus, dear, dear person today, who, who you, may have be, you may be new to church, this may be something like out of your comfort zone, but you find yourself watching today. You find yourself somehow being, having been invited. You're hearing a message today, and now all of a sudden, you're bristling. You've got your arms crossed, and you say, how dare you discount my pain? How dare you minimize my, my dysfunction and how wrong my parents were? You have no idea how hurt I have been. And you find yourself there today. Having a victimized mentality that I am who I am because I got a bad deal. Am I saying that there is not heartache? Am I discounting and just throwing out and saying we should all be Pollyanna and never, and never admit to any heartache or suffering or, or, or bad stuff? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Can I tell you this, though, church? Those of you who may be listening, those of you who may be visiting with us today, who you do not know the liberation of Jesus Christ removing your sin, there is hope in Jesus. He can set you free, and you ain't who you used to be. Amen. If you haven't experienced that, that's just a piece of the gospel. That's just, that's just a part of what the Lord will do for you. Here is the reality of it, though. We're broken. We need a Savior. It's your sin. It's my sin. It's the, it's the thing that the, the priest, it's the thing that Aaron had to do every year to cover, just cover it in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, our admission of our brokenness is called repentance. In the New Testament, the thing that sets us free, the thing that gets us on the launch pad with a relationship with this Savior who will free us and deliver us is this, a bended knee and a contrite heart and possibly tears of repentance over our failure and our sin. Church, we need to hear this today. We need to hear the importance of our brokenness and being able to cast our unmet expectations, our brokenness, our heartache, our dysfunction upon the one who can do something about it. Do you know you can be healed today? Do you know that we can experience freedom from anything and everything that hinders us from living a life full of joy and peace and patience, long-suffering, gentleness, self-control? I, I just blow up in situations because I'm Irish. 
No, you blow up in situations because you're a sinner. So am I. We want to blame it on something or somebody else versus owning it and saying, oh God, only before you have I sinned. Forgive me of my sin. Aaron was to represent the people, to the people, the righteous requirements of the Lord. And it's called holiness. It's called holiness, church. And I don't want us to, to gloss over that and think, well, you know, that's, that's well and good. Um, I'm different. I'm, I'm not as bad as I used to be, right? I grew up in a Baptist church. And essentially, I heard a, I heard a message pretty consistently. And it was, don't, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go out with girls that do. And then you're going to be okay. But I don't want to minimize that. I'm not discounting the message that I heard in that one particular church. I also heard the gospel message clear in that church. And they were faithful to continually bring an opportunity for me to get right with God. And I did one thing. I got to be a good little boy who could hide sin really well. I'm going to say that again. I got to be a good little boy. I had the haircut and everything. Then that went away. No, I meant I grew my hair out. People thinking I'm bald. Come on now. You're just mean. I got to be a good little boy. I knew what to say. I knew kind of knew how to carry myself and act. But I had an older brother that that dude, everything he did, he got caught at. And I was a great observer. And it's like, dude, if you're going to do that, do it different. Don't get caught. I mean, he couldn't do anything without getting caught. So all that made me was a professional sinner. Because I got good at getting away with stuff. Some of you are giving me that look like you know what I'm talking about. Aaron represented holiness and righteousness. Here's the deal. I bet you some of you are sitting here today and you say, Dave, I hear you, but I know one thing. I can't do it. I can't be holy. I would say, amen, you're right. Oh, turn your Bibles to Ephesians. Now, keep your place here in in Exodus. We'll be back to it in in a minute, but... In Exodus, I'm sorry, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through... What, church? The gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast... For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And as beautiful and as inspiring robe might have been to the people that were around him that day, we are far more special in God's eyes. We are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. A beautiful work before the Lord. And you were absolutely spot on right in saying with me, I can't be righteous, I can't be holy. My salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, and that is a gift. A gift from God. 
that I have to accept and we have to accept individually. You know, the first time that I actually believed that I, I actually saw this inscription, holiness to the Lord, you know where I saw it? On a Mormon temple. Have you guys ever seen that, witnessed it? At the front of every Mormon temple, there is a placard, holiness to the Lord. To that I would say, amen. But I would also say, your salvation and your faith is a gift from God, not of works. That anyone should boast about it. And whether it is an LDS temple or whether it is the, your own home where you have declared that we should be holy before the Lord and yet you're depending on your own strength, your own abilities, your own goodness to make you righteous before, Lord, I, before the Lord, I would say this. There's no difference between us and a cult. There's no, there's no difference between us and those that we would say has very bad teaching. Your salvation is a gift from the Lord and because he imputes righteousness to you and forgives me of my sin, we then should walk in it. Here's another thing that impacts Aaron's role and responsibility. Aaron is the priest and he's to wear the uniform of the priest. He's to adhere to all of the things that the Lord is specifically calling him to do. And it doesn't just affect him. Take, go back to Exodus with me. Turn over to chapter 29 now. Exodus chapter 29, verse 29 says, Holy garments of Aaron, catch this church, shall be his sons after him to be anointed into, in them and to be consecrated in them. Aaron living out this role of the priestly spiritual leader in his own home before his nation. It is not just for the atonement of the people on a public level. It's for him to be re responsible to raise up his sons in the calling of God, in the knowledge of the Lord, in the admonition of the need for a Savior. Oh, church, what a responsibility we now have as we become believers to be the example, to be the priest in our home. Men and women serving before the Lord because your sons and your daughters are watching the next generation will put on the priestly robe and the priestly garb and fulfill the acts of priests in future generations. Men of God, I'm gonna challenge you here today. Will you step up to be the spiritual leader of your home? Those of you watching from home today, you're not in church, maybe for a very good reason. We understand that, but also it could be that you've just gotten lazy you're not leading your home, men, the way that you should. You're not making your, church, your, your family come to church with you because you're not leading at home at all. And I don't want to leave the women off the hook here. I'm an equal opportunity pastor. Some of the ladies just need to come along their side, the, the side of their men and allow them to lead. 
You've, you, you have taken the kids to Sunday school. You've taught them Bible stories. You've prayed with them at night. And the first time that your husband takes a step toward responsibility, you push him right in the forehead and say, that's my role. Men and women, church, the acts of Aaron were to be passed on to his sons leading it in his family. He had to live a holy life. He had, to, he had to, to, to be what God had called him to be. Is how you're living impacting your sons and daughters? You bet it is. Is it for holy living or is it for comfort and ease of life? And only focus on making sure that your children have it better than you ever had. Aaron had the role and responsibility of priest. So do we. So do we. And you say, wow, man, that's, that is super heavy, Dave. Why did you lay that on me today? I, I, I'm checking out. In UFC terminology, you guys know what UFC is? Ultimate fighting? Are you guys too holy to watch... You're saying, that's beyond me, man. I can't do it. I'm tapping out. Can't do it, Dave. Too big a, too big a role, too big a responsibility, too much, too much on me. That's really heavy. But I know this. I know that I've been in church long enough to know that none of that stuff really matters. That's Old Testament stuff, Dave, right? That's, that's like legalistic, right? That's like, that's like dead, Old Testament you know, part of the Bible that I blow the dust out of every once in a while. You know, so I don't live under that anymore. I'm a, check this out, I'm a New Testament believer. Notice how I did that? I'm a New Testament believer. I don't, I don't like that Old Testament teaching stuff. It's heavy. So let's look at what, you think Jesus might be a good New Testament example for us to look at what that might look like, you think? You think that maybe we could listen to what he says? Keep your finger here in Exodus. Go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. One of my favorite chapters in all of the New Testament. In fact, I almost taught out of Matthew this morning until I watched a video yesterday at men's conference that set me on this path. So I still end up in Matthew anyway. I can't avoid it. Matthew chapter five, verse 48. Here's what Jesus' requirement is for the religious people, okay? You think, you think you got it all down? You think you can do it on your own? You think you got this thing dialed in because of your rules, regulations, and, and your spit-shine shoes? Here's what Jesus would say. Chapter 5, verse 48, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's heavy. I thought the Old Testament stuff was heavy. Jesus just raised the bar. Just when you think that through your religious activities and through, through all of the things that that your spiritual leaders may be doing on your behalf, and if, you're, if you obey that stuff, check all of the boxes, then, 
then that's way beyond your ability, but you might be okay with God. Jesus would say, none of that matters. Unless in your heart and in your mind, you choose a path of, Lord, you are perfect. You alone, O God, are perfect. And I choose to take one more step to be more like you. And Lord, I'll then choose to take one more step to be like you. And another, and another. That's what Jesus was teaching that day. Be ye perfect, that's King James. Be perfect, just as the Father in heaven is perfect. And we can't do that on on your own, on our own. When you say, I can't do it, you're thinking biblically. Congratulations, you can't. Romans 3.10 says that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They all have turned aside and they they together become unprofitable. There is no one who does good, no, not one. Well, I thought I was a pretty good little dude. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people in pews today in churches who believe that they're not that bad. They're not that bad. Possibly the Holy Spirit of God has been working and speaking to you over the last few days or months or weeks. And he's made it very clear to you that you're struggling with stuff. It could be sin. It could be just absolute blatant sin that you've struggled with. It could be that you realize that you are dead in your trespasses in sin. You are not spiritually alive. And that you desperately need a savior. Not to just cover your sin, but to completely remove it. Scripture tells us that when the Lord removes our sin, he casts it as far as the east is from the west. The Lord will do that for you. The Lord will remove your sin. The Lord will restore right relationship with you. You are dead in your spiritual condition. That's the reason we preach we must be born again. Are you born again? Do you know the Savior? Do you know his forgiveness? Or do you spend your life looking in the rearview mirror? The Lord will cover and completely forgive and remove our trespasses and sin. So you might be saying, okay, I, I kind of get it, Dave. Give me, if you're like me, I, I, praise God for YouTube. Can I get an amen? Can amen? Can YouTube get an amen this morning? I love YouTube because it shows a guy like me how to do it. I remember the very first time I ever used YouTube is I, I'm, I am not a mechanic. My, my honey, 
I'm not a mechanic. And she will say, amen. Amen. The blower on my fan on my truck went out. And all I had ever experienced was I either take it to a friend or I take it to a shop. And if I take it to a friend, he's probably going to only break it more. If I take it to the shop, I'm going to be broke. Right? So I had heard of this thing called YouTube. In three minutes, I knew how to fix my fan. For $6, I had the part to fix my fan. And by the time I went to the auto parts store, dropped my six bucks, drove back home, watched the YouTube video again, put it back in, it was about 40 minutes. And I was the mechanic. (laughs) I love seeing how to do it. Don't you? Don't you like the practicality of watching somebody else who has done it before you, who knows an easier way, who knows the right tools you need, who who, who can say, don't do this. It's only going to cost you more in time and frustration and heartache. Welcome to church. You're sitting next to brothers and sisters who have known the Lord a little longer than you, who've had different life experiences to you, and there you're living YouTube. Hey, my family's messed up. 